Get out of here. We'll hold them off. You're going to have to relocate the covert. This is the way. This is the way. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hawk, our hosts, Carl LeClaire, Jason Hunt, and Katie Horn, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 361. This is the way. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the la- the Mandalorian to my quill, because I have spoken. We have Carl LeClaire. This is the way. <laughs> it is the way, and I have spoken. And- <laughs> Oh my gosh. In four episodes, we've already gotten two incredibly iconic lines. Yes. I Actually, to be fair, although it, we only got it once, but I'm almost wondering with the chapter four line, um, until our until our paths cross. Like, that's another, like, cool, quotable little line. Um, but we only get it once, as opposed right. to this is the way and I have spoken, which we get right. obviously repeated times. Um, but yeah, no, Mandalorian has given us some really cool, uh, some really cool quotes to play around with. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, so you may be noticing that we are one host short today. Uh, that is correct because, uh, Katie is, uh, deep within the, the well of, um, life is strange. Life is strange. Thank you. It completely slipped me as I was about to say the title, but yes, life is strange. So, uh, she needed, she needed the week to to handle all of that going on. Um, so we will be having her back next week as we dive into uh, the Last Jedi uh, in our rise a journey to the rise of Skywalker. But as we wait for that, Carl and I are going to talk all about what's been going on with the Mandalorian thus far. Because oh, yeah. oh my God, Star it's good Wars stuff. Gold right here. Yeah, definitely. Um. But before we start talking about Mandalorian, of course, once again, just a spoiler alert. Um, we will be talking about pretty much the first half of the season now because we've gotten, you know, the first four chapters when, you know, with eight chapters, that's half the season. Um, so we'll probably be concentrating mostly on chapters three and four because um, we've already talked about the first one. Um, Jim and I did a little breakdown of the second one, but I'm sure the second one will come up a few times uh, in this show as well. But um, again, if you've not seen Mandalorian, uh, certainly turn off the podcast and come back when you have. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, I'm just I I could talk about this show for for hours because it's so so good. Um, but before yeah. we get into the way, 
we did have a great uh, poll from last week's episode where we asked all of you who your favorite character was in The Force Awakens. And once again, we got quite a few responses. Uh, Jason, what did the Larians have to say about their favorite character in Force Awakens? Oh, well, as, as always, we got a, a plethora of folks uh, that have been nominated, so to speak. Um, in sixth place, with one vote each, we've got uh, General Hux, BB-8, Luke Skywalker, the Hog Squaddle, <laughs> uh, Captain uh, Ithano, and First Mate Quiggled, the, the bandits that Finn almost went off with, uh, Leia, Captain Phasma, and Matt the Radar Technician. <laughs> so... Um, in fifth place with two votes, we have Maz Kanata. In fourth place with four votes, we got Han Solo. Han Solo! Um, sorry, had to do that. Uh, uh, tied for third place with five votes each, we got Poe Dameron and Finn. Uh, in second place with 11 votes, Kylo Ren. Uh, and first place with 15 votes, to no one's surprise, we got Ray. Um, and that's both where both Carl and my votes went. Um, as much as I love BB-8, uh, I do think in The Force Awakens, just the introduction of Ray is such a uh, an iconic thing uh, in Star Wars now, and I love I love the introduction of her so much. So. That's yeah. why she's was my top. Same here. You know, I mean, Star Wars, my favorite type of character in, in any Star Wars is always the the hero. You know, the kind of the, the character that is meant to draw us in and really um, provide a journey for us. And uh, I love Rey's introduction here in Force Awakens. Um, and when she's on screen is when I tend to be most perked up. I will say I... Similar to how our, our turnout fell, um, Kylo would definitely be a very close second. Um, but Ray has just, again, like the start of a hero's journey, and I love watching that. So, yeah, in, indeed, indeed, it, it's really awesome. And uh, uh, we're not alone in that thinking, it appears. So, right, right. Uh, and I suppose it makes sense since she is the main character. So, um, but yeah. Well, we've got a fun matchup for everybody at the end of this episode, which I'm very excited for. So uh, can't wait to see what people think about that one. But uh, Carl, where where exactly do we want to start with uh, Mandalorian thus far? Because, like you said, we are halfway through. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me ask you this: um, What has surprised you about the show? Um, is it weird to say just about everything? Um, but no, but you'll have to be more specific. <laughs> yes, I will. I will. Um, well, to to be honest, the the big one and the most obvious is the fact that they they introduce a a child mm. um, into the series as such a prominent you know figure um, that kind of throws everything off the rails for for this character for the mandalorian um 
I, I think that one was was a big surprise and something I didn't expect. Uh, and then the fact that it was just so adorable and cute and, you know, it's a baby Yoda, uh, it just sort of adds on to that. Um, but besides that, I think the other thing that's really surprised me and and something I'm very impressed with is the fact that this series is taking its time. Mm. It's not rushing anything. It is taking very methodical steps um, on the journey that they're telling, on the story that they're telling, and and, and nothing is rushed. Nothing is uh, is overplayed. And honestly, even some of the episodes uh, are, are shorter because they're like, all right, yeah. this is the story we need to tell this episode. So it's like you know that everything they're they're not squeezing anything in. They're not uh, you know extending things out just to fit a quota for an episode or whatever. And the fact that it is the story has taken until episode four to really kind of give us our first real story twist away from what, you know, the, the introduction has been because episode four has been really a departure from what we've gotten so far. And, and it, it, it didn't rush that, that twist rush that, that, you know, departure. Um, we're we're at the halfway point now, and and we're really kind of get starting to get an idea of what this series might be headed towards. You know, so um, I I really like and appreciate that fact because so many things nowadays are either extremely formulaic uh, or they're rushing to get a story out because they don't know if they're going to have another season or something like that. You know, or something. I don't know. Um, or if they're, you know, uh, on on terrestrial, you know, channels or whatever, they have to fit a time slot. So they have to have, you know, X number of minutes to fill, whether or not that means they, you know, squish something in or extend something out to, to fit that. You know, it, it's just it makes things a little clunky sometimes. And they don't do that with this series. And I'm really, really enjoying the fact that each episode, while it's the continuation of this overall story has its own individual story to tell within that. And it doesn't exceed that. Mm. Yeah. You know, what What about you? Yeah. Well, like you, the, the, I think the biggest surprise and it's probably true for so many people is obviously baby Yoda never saw that coming. Um, (laughs) right. And it was something we all didn't know we needed so much. (laughs) Um, Right. (laughs) Uh, Baby Yoda has become, you know, uh, it has become a sensation in pop culture, the likes of which we haven't really known since I am your father. I mean, I, I, I know that's a bold statement, but I honestly think it's true because I'm not just talking about Star Wars here. I'm talking pop culture, right? Like the way yeah. Star Wars shook up pop culture in 1980 with that Darth Vader quote. We haven't really had anything in Star Wars since then. Yes, there's, you know, things have been pumped up about it. You know, Phantom Menace was super looked forward to. Same with Force Awakens. But there was nothing that sunk its teeth into pop culture the way Baby Yoda has. I mean, I have people coming up to me um, at work, at church, in friend groups that aren't particularly Star Wars fans are like, I love Baby Yoda, right? Like, um, this is just brilliant, absolutely brilliant giving us this particular character. Um, and again, I love with that background story of the fact that both John Favreau and Dave Filoni got the okay from George Lucas to do that. 
Um, again, yeah. did they need that real K? Certainly not. This is not George Lucas's property anymore, but they did anyway. And I love that they did. Um, and then I think the other big surprise for me from the series is the type of character that the Mandalorian is. So the only thing I was a little apprehensive about getting this story is getting kind of this macho man who's detached and unfeeling and cold and just a killer. Um, and that's not who he is at all all and i love it um and and this is a point i, I want to sink my teeth into a little bit later in the episode of of what i really think they're doing so beautifully brilliantly with the character of mandalorian but the thing that i love is that he's not this cold calculating killer he is a hero um yeah. and and not an anti-hero um i'm sick of anti-heroes we've got enough of those in our culture right now mm. um he is a hero um, cause an anti-hero is someone who almost, you know, I'm, I try to remember what the actual definition of an anti-hero is, but it's somebody who doesn't really want to be the good guy. Like they almost have to go against who they are to be the good guy. That's not the Mandalorian. He just is a hero. Um, so that has been. Uh, in the, it, both of these surprises to me are incredibly refreshing because Baby Yoda is something just pure and innocent and beautiful that everyone, both within the Star Wars community and without, can get on board with. And I also love what they're doing with the Mandalorian as a hero character. Is yeah. he's, he's kind of defining for us in a modern age what it means to be a hero and what it means to be a masculine hero as well. Um, you know, something I've, I I love how Disney Star Wars has given us lots of female hero, heroes as of late. Um, and, and they're all incredibly relatable and accessible regardless of gender. Um, and I think what the Mandalorian is doing as a character is doing the same thing is that he is a relatable hero regardless of gender. Um, and he is doing something for masculine identity that is very much needed in our world right now. Um, I will agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's not shying away from the fact that he's, you know, a masculine, you know, man, he's, he's a man, he's a, he's got this masculine identity, but it's like, but there's also the paternal side. There's the the friendship side. There's the loyalty side. That all these things are very important. You know, not only just for for masculine characters, but you know, people in general. But putting it all together in this way really kind of highlights you know the fact that you know th- this is the kind of masculine characters, masculine heroes that we need. You know, and and it's really really nice to see. And I think the biggest you know surprise for me in the identity thing and this is still evolving for the mandalorian but i think the initial um surprise is that he identifies as a mandalorian first bounty hunter second right and i think going in a lot of people thought it would be the other way around yeah he's a mandalorian bounty hunter emphasis on the bounty hunter and Mm -hmm. that's you get the cold the calculating you know (laughs) always out for the 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 credits credits, or whatever and and the the thing that we were coming to realize is you know at least early on, Mand- the Mandalorian culture is what's important to him first, and he's acting as a bounty hunter as a means to survive. You know, he would rather be, you know, staying back with with the clan, you know, living his life out as a Mandalorian. But he's got to make money in order to survive and help support the clan and everything like that. And so that's why he's out bounty hunting. 
Right. And so it wasn't that big of a stretch when he went back to get Baby Yoda. You know, it, and I think my my brother, you know, initially was a bit, you know, irritated about that because it's a trope. But he was like, no, I wanted him to like have to, you know, do it because he got a, uh, you know, another bounty to go rescue. And I was like, but, you know, that's not what it it's not what he is right. you know yes uh he's a, he's a mandalorian and I, and I i didn't think of that in the conversation i was having with him but afterwards i was thinking about what he was saying i was like no that's the difference is, is he's a mandalorian first and a bounty hunter second mm-hmm. um yeah that's that's a great way to put it jason you know it that is really the truth is almost he's a bounty hunter because it supports his role within the clan within the the tribe within his mm-hmm. people um you know they they've done a great job of this notion of the foundlings um yeah he is a foundling um i'm almost beginning to wonder if the foundlings i don't even think they need to be by blood mandalorians and this is something that i've really enjoyed in the series so far is that i don't think that the mandalorian himself is from mandalore or is no. blood related to mandalorian people no. And this is something I love that they're doing. And this is a question that was raised in Last Jedi, right? This idea of um, like when Snoke confronts Kylo at the beginning and, and, and you know, confesses, oh, I thought you were so great because of, you know, your bloodline, um, right? And, and Last Jedi kind of raises the question of can one still be important regardless of bloodline? And I think Mandalorian has taken that to a whole new level and in so far that he is not – from Mandalorian blood, yet he is part of the way. And this is something I kind of wanted to talk about for a minute, if you don't mind. Is sure. I, as much as I love, I have spoken. I think I prefer the the catchphrase. This is the way, and you know the way we. You know what exactly that means is probably going to continually to be unpacked. But what I mm-hmm. think, in its essence, it's really about is the way is a way of living. It's a code of conduct and honor and sh- almost chivalry, modern day chivalry. And what's more important to this particular tribe of Mandalorians? Um, now, I know a lot. I've gone back and watched um, the Mandalorian arc from Clone Wars. I, I keep meaning to go back and watch some of the Mandalorian arcs from Rebels to see a little bit more of the history of Mandalore, right? But these Mandalorians, um, being that they're always in their masks, right? It, it, the initial thought is, is, oh, they must be like Death Watch, which probably isn't a great thing because Death Watch is a terrorist group that, right. that is obsessed with violence. Whereas I don't get the sense that these Mandalorians are obsessed with violence. They do very much reverence um, a warrior culture, but a warrior culture isn't inherently um, evil and violent per se, right? Um, right. Sometimes, uh, you know, think of think of the samurai, right? Which is what I think so much of this series is dipping its toes back into is those ancient stories of the samurai and westerns. Yeah. Um, but, Which are the same stories, just different exactly. places. Yeah, the cowboy <laughs> was the American samurai. Um, yeah, exactly. But they all they all were always prepared for battle. There was a discipline behind that training, but it wasn't because you were seeking out violence for the sake of violence, right? right. Um, you know, if you've ever done any form of martial arts, and I've, I mean, I did one a long time ago as a kid, and I briefly did one a couple of years ago, but. One of the central tenets of so many martial arts is while you are training to fight and to you know potentially hurt someone else, 
at its core, though, it's about discipline and it's about only using it when absolutely necessary. But that training provides something very crucial to living a, a good life. So, yeah. and and many of the samurai in the stories that are you know heavily influencing you know Star Wars at the moment, um, you know ultimately while they are warriors and they have the discipline and the lifestyle to back that up, their greatest goal is to get to a point where they're not needed. In right. many cases, yeah, that where where the samurai, you know, can go back to their farms. Um, and they can put their swords away, you know, um, and and that's really kind of you know I I think influencing what we have here with with this particular tribe of Mandalorians. And the big question that I have is: is this just a a tribal offshoot from Mandalore? Is this a remnant after they mentioned a purge? Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming it's an imperial purge of yeah. Mandalore. Yep. Um, they they haven't said that outright yet, uh, but that's what I'm assuming. And so, the I, I'm going to jump a, kind of a little bit all over the place to make this point. But the fact that he can't take his helmet off, um, I'm I'm wondering if that has something to do with either the fact of of what this tribe is following, if this is now the way of the Mandalorians post purge. Or if this is something to do with him being a foundling and maybe he needs his signet before he's allowed to take it off in public anymore. You know, I don't know. You know, this is, there's, you know, and I'm sure we'll have this explored and, you know, at least partially explained, you know, going forward. But it, there's, there's a lot of questions um, that have been asked and raised um, and not, you know, not a lot of answers given yet. Um but yeah, they, they, I, I think that kind of you know tracks back into the discussion we've been having. So yeah, yeah. Um, oh geez, what was I saying? Oh, anyway, yeah. So yeah. the thing though, I do like because again, uh, where is this particular group of Mandalorians coming from? Again, we don't know at this point. Um, but to me, again, just just that insistence on the way. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the the foundlings are the future, right? This is the way. Um, yeah. So it's almost like one's, one can belong to this group of Mandalorians regardless of blood insofar as they uh, submit themselves to the way. And I just right. – I really like that. So that sense of belonging isn't simply about, oh, yep, I was born Mandalorian. Therefore, I can be part of this. It trumps that. It's something that transcends that. And I really like that. So you can be a part of this Mandalorian group. You can be part of their identity if you choose to live by the way. Um, so, oh, man, I, I love that so much. It, it, it takes me right to the uh, – oh, get ready for this – the Acts of the Apostles. That's right, the Bible. And <laughs> um, in, in, in the, the, yes. the, the history of the early church – um, there was this debate raised of whether or not one had to become Jewish in order to become Christian. Um, and ultimately, the debate came down on the side of, no, you don't, um, because you can – if you choose to live by the teachings of Jesus, you can be a Christian regardless of whether or not you join this Jewish tradition. And um, so again, it, it's more about adherence um, to a particular way of living, a way of life. 
for the early church that would identify you as a Christian. So I really like that in this Mandalorian culture um, that he is part of is it's again, it's not about who you grew up as, but what you choose to follow, how you choose to live your life. Um, So now granted we've only gotten four episodes. Maybe I could be dead wrong about this, but I really feel like that's the way they're taking us. Um, yeah. And I will say this, I do have a feeling though, that, um, the, the armorer or the forger, whatever her name is, um, is it the armor? Is that the official name they've given her? Or I don't remember. I think it is the uh, armor cause we'd been okay. referring to her as the forger and somebody corrected us. Um, but regardless, I'll look it up. I wouldn't be surprised if she is Mandalorian by blood, um, which is, could be why she is a position of such leadership. Also in chapter three, the the big Mandalorian, the one who shows up with the Gatling gun, his name is Paz Vizla. So again, we can yeah. assume he's Mandalorian by blood as well. And of course, he's voiced by Jon Favreau, which is awesome, um, which is so obvious too, by the way. As soon as he speaks, I'm like, that's Jon oh. Favreau. <laughs> like, yeah. So obvious. Yeah. Um, Definitely. You so, know, it, it, you know and, and that, of course, tracks because he voiced previsla in the clone wars so right. you know that's yeah. and and the fact that he again probably is mandalorian by blood probably makes him a little more skeptical of this perhaps non-mandalorian by blood right um and yet the the armorer is the one reminding them that the foundlings are what is important uh yes just just to clarify for everyone it is indeed the armorer is is the official name that they've given her excellent so yeah so oh man it's just it's so cool that we have this this community that is um grounded in a way of life a code of being again which is super samurai like right um i'm trying to remember what the code of life is for a samurai what it's called is it bushido or something like that or is that oh, I, I don't know either. enough about that to know. Yeah, I'm sure somebody listening right now knows and is, is screaming it at us, but we can't hear you. So feel free to send us a message um, uh, yes. so that we can correct ourselves on next week's show. Um, but there is something in Sam, the, like the samurai code of life. It is their way, if you will. So, um, Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anyway, that, that, those are just – we haven't even gotten into context yet. That's just kind of the big surprises for me and the things that have – um, really, really, really made me quite happy. Um, can can I bring up one of the themes from Mandalorian that I really like? Of course. Um, and I'm not talking musical themes because I could talk about the music all day. Oh, so yeah, so so good. Um, but one of the th- one of the themes is um this kind of this this reoccurring theme of being rescued that we can't do it on our own, right? Every single episode so far, we've seen the Mandalorian be rescued, which is something, again, I was not expecting. So in the first episode, Quill literally rescues him from the Blurgs. He was about to be killed by Blurgs, and Quill shows up and saves the day. In chapter two, he's about to be killed by a Mudhorn, and Baby Yoda uses the Force and rescues him. Yep. Chapter three, he's about to be gunned down by all these bounty hunters and boom, his clan of Mandalorians shows up and rescues him 
And then even in chapter four, a little less pronounced, but chapter four, we see Cara Dune not only rescuing him, but pretty much the whole village by having the idea of how to take out the ATSC, how to get it to take that last step. So I really like this. She definitely rescues baby Yoda. Oh, great point. Absolutely. Yeah. If she hadn't been there, baby Yoda would be dead. Yeah. Um, And there would be rioting in the streets. (laughs) Yes. In chapter four. It, it, they they took like five seconds before they showed Baby Yoda alive and well after that shot rang out. Yep. And I had all sorts of thoughts and emotions as soon during those five seconds. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I should not have physically been able to have as many as I did, but I did. <laughs> so. Um, but I I like that in every episode, the Mandalorian, um, and he's always quick to recognize and be appreciative of that help. Right. Um, yeah. He's again, and this again turns that trope on its head of what it means to be, you know, this gunslinging hero. Um, I love in the um, in the third chapter when the armorer is ma- about to make his armor, and you know she asks, you know, oh, what caused that damage? You know, a mudhorn. Oh, that'll be your signet then, right? Because you you bested that beast. That was his his trial in the in the jungle. Um, but he says, no, uh, it wasn't a noble kill. I got help, you know, and he, he admits this in front of the guy who just attacked him. And then these other Mandalorian brothers, uh, potentially sisters. And yeah, he's admitting that he got help. Like he's not ashamed of it, you know? And I love that. He could have just been like, yep, I bested it. I killed it. But no, he gives credit where credit is due. I love that about him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He he's been helped, uh, or has been the one doing the helping uh, in just about every one of these episodes. You know, there's there's a lot of that going around, and I think I like that too because you know, in a traditional series, you know, kind of like this, you know, he wouldn't need the help. Yeah, you know, he'd be you know kicking butt, taking names, and you know, surviving on his own. Uh, but you know, in the first episode, he he needs the help because he runs afoul of some lo- you know local creatures that he didn't expect to need to deal with, and uh, they surprised him. They snuck up on him. Yeah. And then he had to you know get help with the freaking mudhorn because that that was a brutal a brutal fight, and I think that's the one I, I've you know was. I, Honestly, I think that's the, the, the confrontation that he's had that's been the most intense for me was that fight against the Mudhorn. Um, it was it was Ugh. brutal. The, yeah. the shot where the Mudhorn just slams his horn flat onto the ground on top Ugh. of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, I feel, it, feel right? that in my yeah, bones. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's just crazy the, the amount of help that he, he's actually needed and still is considered the hero. You know, he's not he's not the greatest. I mean, yeah. he might be the he might be the best in the parsec, but he's not the greatest, you know, bounty hunter or or, you know, hero or anything like that. He enlists the help of Car- Cara Doom uh in the last episode because she's a freaking badass shock trooper for the rebels, you know. Because she could she's at least on par with him, if not better, when it comes to, you know, getting in a fight. Um, and and he knows that, which is why he enlists her help to help take care of the, the farmers, uh, because he knows he can't do it on his own. So it's 
I, I, and I think I really appreciate that because it shows, yeah, not only do you have to have a community and a family or whatever, uh, a group to, to do these kinds of things with, but it's just nice to have, you know, the main character, the main hero not be, you know, super brilliant and awesome every episode. Yeah. I mean, he is, but he also needs the help of everyone around him. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I love that so much. Um, uh, yeah. The, so the, the Mudhorn fight is my favorite creature fight in all of Star Wars. I've never really cared about the creature fights. Um, not like I don't like them, but you know, I mean, the Rancor and Luke, for instance, is, is, is probably the most iconic, you know, uh, hero versus beast fight in Star Wars. Um, obviously we get the, you know, heroes fighting beasts on steroids in the, uh, Geonosis arena, <laughs> um, yeah, the time yes. of the clones with the, the reek and the Acklay and then the other thing <laughs> next suit. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, uh, they've always been like neat. This is the first one that I've loved. Um, and, and it's for a lot of the things you just said, Jason, which is you feel it when he gets slammed down like that, when it comes down on him, when he's trying to use his flamethrower. And then the last time it, it, it like sends him flying and he just lands and goes, Oh, like you feel it. Like you just feel his physical pain. Yeah. Um, the thing I love so much about that fight and again, this was a point I made when I was talking in my little solo show about the Mandalorian theme song, um, is how similar that theme is to the Rocky uh, theme. And I'm not just talking musically here. I'm talking the theme of Rocky as a film franchise. One of the, the, the pinnacle statements that Rocky makes in the franchise is it's not how hard you can hit, but it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's yeah. literally the Mandalorian in that Mudhorn fight. Is he is getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled. He's getting his ass kicked. And yet he keeps standing up to keep fighting. You know, like that to me, oh, it makes me just like no matter how crappy things are in life, like it makes me just want to keep getting up. Even if I keep getting my ass kicked, I just want to keep getting up and and being the noble one willing to to take on that fight. Um, and the beautiful thing in that fight too is, is the Mandalorian, he just, he doesn't have what it takes to win this fight, but the force intervenes through this yeah. child. Right. Um, and the thing that I love is, is that, that perseverance and that fight that the Mandalorian has inside of him is being rewarded in that moment. It's almost like the force sees his value and protects him. Um, very similar to Chirrut walking out in Rogue One. Yes. Uttering his mantra, I'm one of the forced forces with me. And all the blaster fire is going wide. Nothing's hitting him. He puts himself into this bubble of the force, if you will. And the Mandalorian and his commitment to keeping this child safe is enveloped by this protection of the force. Um, I love that. I absolutely love it. The thing, and, and this was not, uh, just to go even go back to what we were first talking about with surprises. This is something I was not expecting to get in the Mandalorian was some sort of force presence. Um, yeah. I really didn't think that, right? And we see baby Yoda at the end of the first episode. It's like, oh, is it force sensitive? Of course, everybody's asking that. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and, I asked that. Yeah. And was, you know, when we talked about it, it's like, is this force sensitive? I mean, and the answer 
was a resounding yes. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I mean, that's my favorite element of Star Wars is the element of the Force, this this spiritual reality. And even in this nitty gritty story of a guy who's just <laughs> getting pummeled, <laughs> there is the reality of the Force stepping in. Um, yeah. And I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Um, all right. So I, I guess the question is now um, we, we haven't really had a chance to talk about uh, the, the last two episodes yeah. on the show. Um, highlights, things you liked. You know what, what? What you got so far for for episodes three and four, chapters three and four, I should say. Yeah. Um, also, I've been loving the titles of these episodes. Um, yeah. The child, the sin, and sanctuary. The first episode did not get a title, which is fine. It doesn't need one. No. Um, but I would say with chapter three, there are two big standouts for me, and the first is him making the decision to go back for the child, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just so great as he's powering up his ship to leave on another mission. Um, And the freaking little ball top is unscrewed. Yeah. And it just, again, I think it's really rooted to the the sense that he was a foundling. He was someone who was rescued as a child. So he doesn't want this child just being used in some sort of game. Um, Right. So that decision to go back and get the child – but the actual scenes of him going back and infiltrating the Imperial stronghold, honestly, it just – it makes me want to play Star Wars again, big Star Wars. <laughs> so again, if you're if you a relatively new listener, the way – when I was a kid, the way I would describe playing Star Wars is I had little Star Wars and big Star Wars. Little Star Wars denoted playing with the action figures or micro machines, whereas big Star Wars meant you know, I ran around with a toy blaster or a stick in the woods pretending it was my lightsaber. So that was big Star Wars. Literally, that was a scenario like I played all the time as a kid as me and my cousin would be running around, you know, the upstairs of his house pretending that we had to infiltrate an imperial base to steal some plans or destroy a super weapon or rescue somebody imprisoned, right? Like it's just – it's a basic storyline but it's something that I recreated myself as a kid all the time. Yeah. I absolutely love those moments. And I also love how much it's very dark night. Like, um, the Mandalorian I mean, he is I, kind of Batman. He is kind of Batman. Uh, he's got the Cape. He's got the mask. He's got the armor. Um, even his fighting style, um, is very similar to the fighting style that the, that the dark Knight uses in that trilogy. Um, I did finally look it up. It's called the Casey fighting method. I'm curious if that's what Pedro Pascal was, um, trained in for these fight scenes. I, I, I haven't seen that information. I also haven't really looked, um, but it's called the KC fighting method. That's what they trained Christian Bale in for, for Batman. Um, it's not anything that's actually used in, in MMA because it apparently sucks in real fighting life <laughs> um, and it would get demolished by most fighting forms, but it's very flashy and attractive for film. Um, right. So I'm curious if that's what Pedro Pascal was trained in to, to do these sites, these shots. Um, but again, like him kind of coming out of the shadows and taking people out. I mean, that's that's straight out of the Dark Knight movies. Um, so I love that. And even in Chapter 4, when Cara Dune kind of 
tosses one of the the bad guys at him and he he hits him in the face like with this down strike with his forearm that's literally something that we see batman do in dark knight rises <laughs> so um so yeah i really liked that moment of him rescuing the child um because it elicited just like that nostalgic fun of star wars while also making me think of batman <laughs> yeah. so yeah um the interesting thing and i had to uh i ended up figuring this out listening to um a podcast i recently got to be a part of uh faster more intense so check out you know the most recent episode of faster more intense if you want to hear my in-depth thoughts on chapter four of the mandalorian sanctuary um but i was listening to the previous episode about um the sin and they were talking about how they had to go back and, and, and watch it with subtitles to figure out what was going on. But when, when the Mandalorian was, was spying on uh, the client and Dr. Pershing with the, um, the, the, the scope mm-hmm. and uh, the client is talking about how he, you know, just wants the, the stuff that, that they're still working for someone else. This goes higher up the chain. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering what's going on with that. But that that's something um, that I only stood out to me, you know, last day or two, day or so, because I didn't catch that right away. Um, but the big question that I have is, you know, what do they want the child for? You know, because they're obviously doing these tests. And I don't know that nothing can be good with that. Um, but, yeah, as far as big moments for for chapter three, that was a good one, and of course the other big one is the freaking ca- cavalry coming in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the the gunfight with with Griff Carga and and the Mandalorian and all the other bounty hunters le- leading into the the rescue from the Mandalorians uh, and Paz Vizla and everybody else showing up was epic. Um, <laughs> it was so good. Um, but yeah, that was that was surprising to me, and it's almost like a statement has been made now by the Mandalorians. Like, hey, we're not gone, we're not all dead. Um, even though they're gonna have to move on now, so it'll be interesting to see where he runs into them again. If he runs into them again, I assume he will. Um. But it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, because I mean, Star Wars has given us some great rescue scenes, right? Yeah. Uh, from the clone, the clone army showing up on Geonosis to it's the resistance, you know, yeah, I mean, yes. we've gotten some awesome rescue scenes. This might take the cake for me though. Um, mainly because of the music. I think it's so good. It, it is shorter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's literally the Calvary. Um, and again, earlier in that episode, um, right, we hear about how these Mandalorians, they only come out of come up out of the surface one at a time, right? They've yeah. never been, they've never come out en, en masse like this before. And yet they choose to for him, right? Yeah. Uh, Even after this confrontation that happened. Yeah. Because of him. Yeah. And again, I just think that goes to show that 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 sense of tribal identity trumps any sort of individualistic uh feelings or behaviors right you know both this is the way yeah 
both Paz Vizsla and the Mandalorian have vibroblades to each other's throats. Um, which by the way, super cool to see vibroblades for the first time in star Wars. Um, yeah. the, like they just looked awesome. Yeah. Uh, and here at the end of the episode, he comes back to rescue him. Cause again, this is the way, you know, your, your tribal identity trumps everything. Um, and they show up simply so that he can leave. Like they don't show up to fight the day and then him leave with them. No, like, you know, get out of here. We'll hold them off. Right. Is the line, you know, we're going to, we're doing this so that you can flee um, with that child. Um, yeah. and, and I love that moment so much. Um, because again, it's, it's where the Mandalorian, it, it it affirms that identity that you pointed out so wonderfully earlier, Jason, which is he's Mandalorian first, bounty hunter second. And this yeah. is kind of that reward for it. You know, they do claim him. They do see him as valuable. Imagine what that does for him, too, that they show up. I think he he's planning to die in that moment. I'm pretty sure. Um, like, he does not expect to make it out of this alive. No. And then they show up. Um, just think of what that must mean for him, too. Um, and then he just settles into, this is him settling into the role of the hero. He's chosen this child. He doesn't, you know, it, it, it trumps his allegiance to the guild. Um, it trumps his allegiance to money. Um, he's doing simply the right thing. Um, and again, it's being rewarded. Doing the right yeah. thing gets rewarded. It gets his, his brothers and sisters out there fighting for him, fighting with him. Um, and I just I love that so much. It's so good. Yeah. And then in the sanctuary, mm. he gets shown another community and even is offered the opportunity to settle down and have a life as a father and son with, you know, the these farmers. Um one of which seems to have, you know, have an interest in him, you know, mm-hmm. a, and and possibility of having a, a whole family at some point if, if he did stay. It's like blatantly offered to him. Yeah. And and he can't, you know, uh, obviously he doesn't doesn't stay in the end, but he even he's initially even going to just leave, um, but leave the kid there. You know, mm-hmm. to 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 be a part of that that community, um, but I almost wanted him to stay. You know, I, I know he wouldn't. I, I knew he couldn't because you know we still have four more episodes of this season and another season in production, and however many you know other seasons are going to add to the show. I knew he couldn't, but I almost wanted him to. You know, I was like, you know, I was rooting for him to be able to have the opportunity to settle down um, and and live a quiet life. You know. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, uh, but it's just very interesting that, you know, he, he depended so much on the community, on the, the identity of the Mandalorians, um, and, and that sense of community that he had in the previous episode. And then he's shown and given the opportunity to be a part of a totally new community that, you know, uh, operates in a similar but also very different way um, than to the one he's used to, you know, the opportunity to maybe take the helmet off, mm. you know, 
it's it was a very interesting dichotomy there uh, between those two episodes, and I really like that that aspect of of the the sanctuary. Yeah, I love the fourth chapter. Um, it's so different from the previous three. Um, and I, I read a great uh, interview with uh, Ludwig Göransson, who is the composer for the the show, and he talked about how he felt like he scored three movies, um, which is already taking shape. I feel like chapters one through three are in very much their own way, a mini movie. Yeah. Um, it's the story where we meet a character. He goes through his trials, his trials in the second chapter. And then the third is we see him become the hero, choose to become the hero. Right. Um, right. And now we've got a new, it's, I mean, chapter four is so different from the previous three. Um, yeah. And the case in point is the music. Listen to the music again. If, if, if you have Apple Music or Spotify, they're dropping every single Friday morning um, these 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 scores, and they're absolutely stunning. Um, I will say, as a, as a listening experience, Chapter Four is my favorite to listen to because, again, I love soft and soothing Star Wars music, and that's exactly <laughs> what Chapter Four is. Just as the title implies, Sanctuary. Um, this there is something very simple and pure and peaceful to the music. Um, again, it, when I listen to the music in chapter four, it really makes me think of Phantom Menace. Um, and again, not because it's the same type of music. I'm again, notation wise, I'm sure it's very different style of music, but the feeling of the music is very similar, right? Uh, I, I love the way Katie put this one time on a, on a show where she talked about how in episode one, when they're in Mos Espa, it just feels like being at home, right? And, and you're mm-hmm. taken into Anakin's home. Everything feels comfortable and, and, and at home. And that's really what the music kind of gives us the feeling for in chapter four is that this is a home and this is a place to be safe and to live a good life. Um, but unfortunately the Mandalorian isn't there yet in his own journey no. personally, but even more than that, he can't be again, like the, the end there when we have a bounty hunter show up, it immediately makes me think of, Han Solo or Beckett, right? These characters with prices on their heads, these characters who are forced to live in the dark underworld. Yeah. The and, bounty hunter on Ord, on, Ord, on Ord Mantell changed my mind. Yeah. You know, and, and that the bounty hunter on is, is Sorgon <laughs> changed yeah. his mind. Right. Um, and again, like that's a, this is a typical star Wars character archetype is the Mandalorian has chosen to be the good guy he's chosen to be a hero and he does that in a way that denies the dark world he grew up in and he grew up around right and he's part of the underworld it's a scary place and getting out of a world like that is often life-threatening um and that's exactly what happens by choosing to rescue the child and and leave the planet He's just opened a whole new can of worms for himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, go ahead. Oh, I, I had a thought and it escaped as soon as I started to say it. Um, go <laughs> ahead and continue. Um, but yeah, no, I, with you though, I, you know, there is a part of me that's like, yeah, he should stay, you know? like, yeah. Well, and he did for like a couple of weeks. Right. They, they, they mentioned that. They do. Exactly. Um, and yeah, when you know after the the fight's over and they win the day and they take down the ATST and and drive off the raiders for probably for good, we learn as he's standing there on the front porch with Kara that they've been there for a few weeks, and life is going 
peachy. Um, yeah. But the Mandalorian knows that the type of commotion they caused won't go unnoticed forever. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's he's going to be forced to leave. Um, and, uh, you know, something I really like in Chapter 4, too, is just as it's own episode, um, again, it reminds me of an old Western story, you know? Mm-hmm. You have the raiders raiding a, a farming village to st- steal their property, to steal their their harvest. Um, and what's really neat is the the look of the raiders. Um, now, I don't know if we've gotten a name of that species or anything. If we have, I haven't seen it. They are technically Clatoonians, uh, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's official. But according to Wikipedia, they are technically Clatoonians, although a different, I guess, different subspecies of Clatoonians than the ones seen in Jabba's palace. Um, but because they weren't o- overly familiar to me, uh, to me, they looked like dog orcs. Yes. That's what I called them. Yeah. And well, that's the thing I was going to say is, again, the the design of them to appeal to right Western culture. We know what an orc is. You know, from yeah. Lord of the Rings or, or uh, you know, Warcraft, um, mm-hmm. the orcs are always villains. They're the demons that come out of the darkness to pillage and destroy. And I love that, again, like they just gave those de- that design to these raiders because, um, again, it, what it elicits in, in a Western way of storytelling um, is, is really great. And they also kind of, again, they remind me of the – uh, the villains in the Ewoks movie Battle for Endor. Um, I can't remember. Tim, Tim mentioned that when we were talking about it on Faster, More Intense. Yeah. He was hoping they were going to be the actual species uh, for a minute, but they weren't. Yeah, but they're similar so. enough, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so now now we've gotten kind of two homages to the Ewoks movies. One blatantly in, in Chapter 2 with the Blurgs. Uh, chapter yeah. one, excuse me. Um, the Blurgs are literally straight out of uh, Battle for Endor, um, which is great. Um, but yeah, uh, these raiders are a great type of villainous character. And you know, I've heard I've heard that some people didn't love Chapter Four. They didn't like how the story was again just another take on Seven Samurai, right? Like we've we've gotten a very similar episode to that in Clone Wars, which mm-hmm. is obviously the introduction of Embo. Um, I think the title of the episode is just Bounty Hunters, which I think is in chapter one or in season it, one, excuse me. It's season two. Season two. Okay. Um, and it is. I mean, it's a very similar story. I mean, it's almost beat for beat, you know, in in some regards with training the villagers and repelling the – I don't care. It's a great story. I love seeing it again. Yeah. And and to be honest, you know, the, the amount of people who are listening to podcasts have probably seen both Clone Wars and Mandalorian. But the vast number of people that are, you know, watching Mandalorian probably haven't seen Clone Wars before, um, or at least not yet, because now it's available um, on on Disney Plus, and they should be watching it. But they're, you know, anyways. But you know, the vast majority of people, you know, other than you know, outside of those of us who are listening and consuming podcasts and every Star Wars available content out there. Uh, probably haven't seen that. So, you know, it's, it's a new, it's a newer story for them. So we have to keep that in mind too. For sure. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, what else was I was going to say something else about Seven Samurai? No. Um, oh, we moving well, on. Yeah. Well, so chapter four, we finally get to meet Cara Dune. Yeah. Um, and she's cool. She's very cool. I just I need to know more about her. Um, you know, I know people are already in love with her, which I think is great, but there's just there's not a ton to her quite yet. <laughs> um, right. And which makes sense. I'm not like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I and mean, we just met her for the first time. We didn't know next to anything about Mandalorian in the first episode. Um, what we do know about her is she's definitely a badass. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Debatably a better fighter than the Mandalorian. Um, right. She pretty much wins that fight when they go at it. Um, yeah. And, you know, she gives a tiny bit of her backstory, right? She was part of the rebellion saw most of her action after Endor, right? So, uh, you know, this was something we saw in the Aftermath trilogies. We get this group of characters from the Rebellion that are basically assigned to take out Imperial leaders. Um, yeah. Either capture or kill them. And it seems like she was part of the a shock troop group that did that same kind of work, right? They were basically assassins. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, it, it's the Nazi hunters after World War II is yeah. what it is. Yeah. So. And... um. And again, that's a that's a element of the rebellion we were introduced to in Rogue One, right? With Cassian and all the spy units um, that exist within the re- rebellion. Mm-hmm. But we know that eventually she kind of got sick of that job of you know political espionage. Uh, she, well, because because it stopped being about taking out warlords, and she got assigned basically to guard duty with the, the the diplomats and things like that. As as the empire, you know, was gradually. And by steps defeated, you know, the the use for the shock troopers became less and less. And she got assigned to, you know, guarding diplomats and senators and things like that. And she's like, that's not what I signed up for, you know. Yeah. But so she's there because she's considering an early retirement. But the way she says it implies that she's probably in some trouble, too. Yeah, I I, I think she she probably skipped town. She was like, I'm done. Bye. And didn't like put in her formal, you know, you know. You know, her two weeks essentially, uh, <laughs> and well, and you know, and that's the thing is she she admits like the reason I went after you so hard is because I assumed you had a fob on me. So she yeah. clearly there there must be bounty hunters out there looking for her. Well, and the other and, option is uh, that since she has taken out imperial leadership, whatever imperial remnant probably you know might might have figured out who she was. And they also want her taken out too. So I'm assuming the rebellion probably the new Republic probably isn't like hunting for her, but if she goes back, there might be some disciplinary action. But my guess is there are some Imperial, you know, warlords or remnant out there that knows who she is and really, you know, has it out for her because of who she's taken out. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody wants her dead. That's yeah. for sure. And I, yeah, I'd be kind of surprised if it – the only way it could be the New Republic is if she screwed up, right? Maybe she has a bit of a temper and flew off the handle and did something she wasn't supposed to do. And now <laughs> Punched a senator. Right, or killed one. Or who or, knows, right? right? Like we don't know. Um, so again, like they did all the right things by planting all these seeds that make me very invested in what's she about. Um, yeah. And the way that she works so well with the Mandalorian is just yeah. is awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like, uh, she she's gonna be back. 
Oh, um, well, she's in every other episode. She's credited in every other episode. So she should oh, be she in is. the rest of them. Yeah, she's she has. So when people are like, when is she showing up? When is she showing up? I guess if you look at IMBD, she's in chapters four through eight. So it looks like she should be in the rest of them. And I hope she is. Um, well, we, we know that there's, you know, some footage uh, from the trailers and, and you know, uh, screenshots that, have, that were released that we have not seen yet. You know, yeah. like her with a minigun hiding behind, you know, some sort of barrier or something. Right. Um, right. So she's going to be at least in one more episode, probably more. Oh, well, I mean, again, according, according to uh, IMBD, she's going to be in the rest of them. So, yeah. which fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I, <laughs> I love when they go scouting. Um, after they've gone to the village and they go scouting on the raiders and they find out that there's an ATST involved, and it and it just does that quick cut back to the Mandalorian addressing the village. Bad news, you can't live here anymore. <laughs> like, right? right? <laughs> she just she just kind of whispers to him, in a "Good bedside manner." <laughs> you know, um, I love that moment. You, think you can you think you can do better? I can't yeah. really do worse. Right. <laughs> um, but uh. You know, what's interesting, though, is the the dynamic they set up between Kara and the Mandalorian is she's kind of the skeptical character, right? She's the practical realist, kind of like yeah. the Han Solo of A New Hope, where it's like, you know, oh, trust me, you guys, you know, the villagers are like, well, we'll stay and fight. You can't. Trust me. You can't. Like, I've, this thing will eradicate all of you. You're not even soldiers. You can't fight. And then the Mandalorian just speaks up and says, well, if we show them how, you know, he is kind of this idealistic hero. A little um, bit. And and I really like that. And and granted, she doesn't have to agree to it. She could just be like, well, good luck. See ya. <laughs> um, but she right. chooses to stay as well. Um, yeah. And it's not like she's offered any more money. So, again, um, and this, again, great, great story point is just you know, the goodness in people affects the goodness in others, right? Kara probably doesn't want to stay. She makes that pretty clear, but the Mandalorian's conviction to stand up and help these people brings out that good natured heart in Cara Dune as well. And she chooses to stick around and ultimately saves the day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really great. Um, you know, she, while she's rough and she's definitely got a history um, and probably done some pretty terrible things, there's still that element of of goodness and and a and a morality in her um, that is apparent as someone who was part of the Rebel Alliance. So uh, I, I appreciate that um, about her. So and before we continue on, though, I just have to flashback for a brief moment to mention the the scene where they they first have their altercation and they they get in the fist fight together and they end up on the ground blaster to blaster you know frozen like that and then all of a sudden we just hear slurp <laughs> <laughs> baby yoda's standing there with his soup watching them so good <laughs> so was, good uh, and it just broke the ice so so well um <laughs> and the Mandalorian just turns this. You want some soup? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, we we mentioned the ATSD a couple times, and I have to say that the watching that thing, you know, both when it first activates, when 
uh, Kara and the Mandalorian are in the raider base. And then when it's coming out of the forest, you know, in front of the village, just some great, great, really kind of creepy shots, you know, of that thing, you know, just rising through the 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 dark night of the the forest there and and just coming through the trees uh you know a bit jurassic park-esque which is which is you know very apt considering who was directing this episode um but yeah i i love i love those shots you know they were they're really good so yeah i love the the wide angle shot of it standing there facing down the village it's so cool like that's just a classic star wars shot to me yeah it's Um, it's it's you know work of art yeah shot yeah so it's like luke standing out there against the first order army on crate you know there's gorgeous shots that that happen in star wars you know the the initial shot of feed you know as we come in you know uh, uh, the phantom menace just Every one of these things could be a a picture frame, you know, and it's so good. Yeah. Um, Really quick, worth mentioning kind of the behind the camera stuff. Both chapters three and four are directed by women. First time ever in Star Wars live action, we've had female directors. Um, So Deborah Chow did chapter three and Bryce Dallas Howard, of course, the daughter of Ron Howard. Also, like Mm -hmm. you just alluded to is she's in the Jurassic World franchise directed chapter four. Um, and I mean, I think it's worth mentioning because again, Star Wars is continuing in its conviction to uh, broaden both in front of and behind the camera who has a voice in Star Wars. Um, and just a quick side note: I, I've annoyingly seen. Um, I, I sometimes forget about the fan bros that exist in Star Wars. Um, and then I get reminded and it just, it makes me just really, really annoyed. Um, and you've got these incredibly insecure, pathetic excuses for men that like to say, Oh geez, look at all these social justice warriors. And my first question to them is, is why do you hate social justice? So I guess you like social injustice, which they probably do because they're almost always spoiled white boys. And secondly, my thought is, is why are you threatened by this? Why is this a threat to you that female characters are taking a prominent place in Star Wars or that female creators are behind the camera? The only people threatened by that are not real men. (laughs) There, I said it. I'm not afraid to stand by that either. And that's why I love Mandalorian is because he is putting the trope of what it means to be masculine on its head. Um, which leads – this is the kind of the final point I want to make about the series up to this point is this is the exact type of story we need in Star Wars right now more than anything else. Yeah, we, it, because it's, it's a story about um, uh, what it really actually means, like a positive view on masculinity. And the thing is the Mandalorian, like we've talked about, like he kind of looks like Batman. He looks like a knight. Um, yeah. And, you know, in a way, the, the samurai stories of old were stories of these kind of knight like characters um, and knights are always known for chivalry. Um, mm-hmm. And the Mandalorian, again, lives by the way he lives by a code of conduct. Um, and the things that stand out to me that 
make him so incredible as a hero is that he is he's noble, he's brave, he's loyal and dedicated. He believes in the power of belonging, the importance of not going alone, of belonging mm-hmm. to something bigger than yourself. And ultimately, what we learn about him in chapter four that I love so much is that it's good to be vulnerable, right? We live in an age where we have this twisted sense of masculinity as if you have to be the tough guy, right? And I, and I, I kind of am looking back at the old John Wayne Westerns or even Clint Eastwood, where you kind of have these cold, kind of horrible characters who what it means to be masculine is that you show no emotion. That's, that's not being human. <laughs> um, and what I love about The Mandalorian is, is um, he's not sappy, but he is vulnerable, he tells this, this woman he barely knows where he comes from. He talks about how the Mandalorians took him in. It gave him a sense of belonging. You know, He was happy about it, and he's happy to live by their, their way. Um, he's also happy to give this child a good life. Like That means a lot to him. So again, we have this character who is able to be vulnerable, and I think that's something that's incredibly important. Um, for us to see in the world today is that we can be noble and strong and committed, but we can also be vulnerable and that there is strength in that vulnerability. So, yeah, I love him. I love this character so much. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good character. And, um, uh, the interesting thing, um, while he definitely very much values the Mandalorian culture, um, and he, he is vulnerable to this woman. I, I believe her name is Omera. Yeah. Um, he tells her, yeah, I haven't taken my helmet off in front of somebody since I was like 12. Yeah. You know, uh, and on the one hand, that's kind of, you know, admirable uh, to be able to, to stick to that code, especially at a young age uh, when, when it first started. But on the other hand, even though he is part of a community, it's also very isolating, mm. you know. And and I think that was one reason why why the option and the the community that was had here in this episode, I think, really resonated with me. Um, and and really, in a way, I was really rooting for the Mandalorian to be able to stay and take part of this, you know, even though I knew that couldn't happen. Um, was because it was a very open face-to-face mm-hmm. honest community that you know took anybody and everybody in you know if they were looking for a place to belong uh and and he wouldn't have to wear the helmet all the time now again we don't know what if that's just something that he has to do until a certain point or if he has to do that because he is a foundling or if it is uh, something to do with this particular tribe of Mandalorians or or what. We don't know why that is a, the case for him. But it is just a very interesting thing that someone kind of, in a way, not called him on it, but addressed that and said, well, what about a different option? Uh, you know, not only with, with the villagers and the, the farmers, but then Cara Dune even says, yeah. Oh, so that's the worst thing that'll happen. You could <laughs> settle down here with a, you know, raise your boy, you know, get to know this this, you know, beautiful widow, you know. Th- that's the worst that could happen, you know. 
he he gets called on it by Kara and is offered an, an, an another an, another option by Omera, and he doesn't dismiss it offhand. Yeah, he almost lets her take the helmet off. Right, right, and I love when she says, you know, you know, this is a great place. You know, you could your child could live a good, you know, could live a life here. Doesn't that sound nice? Um, or, you know, and he goes, it would, you know, like he believes it. There is a part of him that does want to stay, but he just can't quite yet. Um, we don't know exactly why. Um, I love, I love all the scenes between, between him and Omera. Um, and again, so good. She is such a good part of this, this uh, story. Yes. Yes. And what's really cool is that the, actress that plays um omera is uh julia jones um and she's from boston uh she she went to the same high school as my friend ben um she's a bit younger than him but uh i I keep saying i was like why didn't you stay in touch he's like carl wasn't even there when she was there but uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah she's so great in in all those little interactive scenes and the thing i love about mandalorian is is while he doesn't say a lot everything he says is so like respectful and kind, you know, when she indicates like, Oh, I noticed that you didn't eat anything earlier. So I'm going to leave this food for when I leave. And he says, that's very considerate of you. Or like, you know, he's always saying thank you. And he's very gracious, right? Like I love that about him. I also, my favorite thing is, you know, we talked a lot about how amazing Adam driver did with, um, Mask acting and Force Awakens, yes, the hel- which helmet, the helmet acting, acting and Force which, Awakens, which, which he does, he crushes yeah. it. Um, but I think Pedro Pascal has taken it to a whole new level. Um, he's on, I mean, he's on par with C three PO here again, an emotionless face that conveys such emotion. Um, and yeah. Pedro Pascal, the thing that he has, the thing that I love, the Mandalorian does is his, is his nod, his head nod, right? Kind of just like yeah. this nonverbal. Uh, gracious motion, right? Um, he he does it to Quill. He does it to Kara. He does it to the villagers. He does it to Omera. Um, you know, there's just such a a quiet dignity to him that I absolutely yeah. love. Um, and what's also really neat is already with these four chapters, and I don't know if this is just coincidence or not. But chapters one and three, we see the Mandalorian get rescued quite blatantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in chapters two and four, his mere presence happens to be something really beneficial, even though he doesn't mean it to be intentionally, right? So chapter two, what I mean by that is, right, like when he thanks Quill so much for helping him fix the Razor Crest, Quill refuses any sort of you know, financial reimbursement. Yeah. And like you, you've brought peace to my Valley again. Exactly. Like he didn't go there intending to do that. No. And I think a little more so though, in chapter four is he does, I mean, he chooses to stay and help the villagers train to repel these raiders. And at the end, when Omera says to him, thank you, he doesn't say anything. He just gives that dignified head nod, Um, which again, isn't like, there's nothing arrogant about it. It's nothing like, yep, I, I, good thing I was here to save the day. It's just like, you know, you're welcome. Um, and it's, uh, I just love it so, so much. Um, yeah. I just, yeah. I, I think he's, I think he's so great. Um, 
Yeah. Man. There's a lot to really enjoy in this show. And I think we're finally starting to get an idea of what it's really about. Yeah. Halfway through the season. Yeah. Well, you I mean, know. everything hinges on this child. Yeah. Why is the child so important? Why did? The, why does the Empire want him? Um, to what lengths? What lengths will all the other bounty hunters go to to acquire it? Right. You know. And why? And 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 why will the Mandalorian continue to be so loyal to this child? Right. So one thing, uh, my friend Mike and I were talking about, and this was this was Mike's point, which I think was brilliant, is when we get that flashback scene in Chapter Three when. The armor is making his, you know, his full thing of body armor. We get the flashback scene again, and it ends with a super battle droid opening where he's hiding. Something destroys that super battle droid. And my friend yeah. Mike is thinking, boy, what if it's Yoda, right? Because this is during the Clone Wars. And there's, again, I feel like we're going to get more of that. Like we're going to get more of that flashback fleshed out <laughs> as the season continues. It would honestly be the easiest character to do because you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have to get. I mean, yes, it could be just a random Jedi. It could be just anybody, but it'd be easy to like put in a digital Yoda, and maybe that's also a reason why he has such a strong allegiance to this child, as it's the same species. Um, so I just I really yeah. like that notion that we might see Yoda rescue the Mandalorian. Yeah, no, I I think that's a pretty a pretty interesting idea. Um, I actually heard that idea from. Uh, Paul Herman, uh, he's of the uh, the saga continues with uh, our our good buddies Kyle and Tim. But he said that on Faster, More Intense in the episode right before I was on. Um, so, and, and which I listened to today before we we recorded. So that was that's an idea that I I think would be really really interesting and really kind of impactful uh, for why everything has happened the way it has in this story. Um, and and I'd be totally down with it. I'd be really, honestly, I think it'd be one of the best things that they could have in that spot. Yeah. You know, it, it, it can't necessarily be a Mandalorian. I mean, it could be a Mandalorian that rescued him. But the Mandalorians of the time, the Mandalorians that are in power during the Clone Wars, um, are are the Death Watch, and they're kind of out for themselves, and they're they're fighting against the Republic, they're fighting against the Separatists, they're kind of you know with Maul uh, at, at the end there. So it's like it, it's a very interesting scenario. You know, you couldn't necessarily have a Mandalorian save him in that moment and then take him away. I mean, I guess you could, you could have a lone Mandalorian do something like that, but, uh, it it may not make as much sense in the timeline if you did it that way. But if you have like Yoda rescue him, although I think that makes a lot of sense. You know who didn't stay loyal to death watch and Darth Maul? Mm, Bo-Katan. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. It could be Bo-Katan. Yeah, and I've heard speculation that Bo-Katan is the armorer, which would be really cool. Um, uh, that's interesting speculation, but she would be old by this time, wouldn't she? Or at least older. She'd be older, yeah. Um, 
I mean, she'd be like around Obi-Wan's age. So probably like in her seventies. That's not super old. Um, True. But, but yeah, no, I mean, but there are right. There are, there is a group that breaks away from death watch. That is, seems to be loyal to this older way of Mandalore, but not necessarily in a terrorist bend. (laughs) Right. Right. But yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see where the story goes. Um, and the last, actually, one last thing I want to note is, is a little point from chapter four that is really great, is that we we don't see it his face, but we do see the Mandalorian take his helmet off. Yeah, and that's that great moment of him watching the child and the other little kids of the village. Um, right. So I don't know. There's just he feels safe enough to take his helmet off in this village, right? Like I love when she asked, you know, when was the last time you took that thing off yesterday, right? Like implying he obviously takes it off probably regularly so he can eat food, but he always does it in the privacy of his ship um, where no one's going to see him. And yet here in this village, he chooses to take it off. Um, and uh, you know, what's interesting too, is he does it in front of an open window. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Well, my, my assumption and I is that, you know, there's an awning, and right. uh, from the outside, I'm assuming it's shaded. It. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but yeah, but he, you're, yeah, you're. He, the point still stands, right? He's he's he feels at home he enough to to remove his helmet here. He didn't put the blinds down, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't choose to sit on the floor in the corner, <laughs> right? right? You know, there is something again, like going to that point of he's he's there's something about this place that allows him to even feel more vulnerable. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's all I got for now. I can't wait to see where we continue to go with this series. Yeah. Um, this is, this has been my favorite thing to come out of Disney <laughs> and since it's bought star Wars. Um, the, the last thing I will say is that if you haven't already get the soundtracks for these yes. episodes, yeah, you will not be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, they're so good. Um, but yeah, and and this is just really making me excited for the future of Star Wars on television. Um, right, I feel like this is a really great place for Star Wars to go. Yeah. Um. You know the movies are oh. great, but I'm I'm fine with After Rise of Skywalker not getting a Star Wars movie for a couple of years if we keep getting shows like this. Right, um, exactly. And I believe Deborah Chow, uh, who directed uh, episode The Sin, is in charge of the Kenobi the Obi Wan Kenobi series, yep. the miniseries. Yeah. So yeah, and she did a great job with with Chapter Three. So I. Yeah, to see what she'll do with the Kenobi series. Um, one last little bit, and this has nothing to do with Mandalorian. I don't know if you saw this today from StarWars.com, the new show that's coming to Disney Plus. Yeah, I did <laughs> with a particular gotta... with a particular host. Yes, that got me very excited. Uh, for those who haven't seen, uh, in coming next year, 2020, uh, Disney Plus will be having um, Star Wars uh, Jedi Challenge. I believe is what it's called. I think so. Um, it's going to be a kids game show. Um, um, it sounds like kind of along the lines of Hidden Temple from Nick, like Nick the Nickelodeon had back in the day, um, where they they get to take part in challenges, you know, that are Star Wars related in sort of Star Wars locales and things like that. Oh yeah, and the host is Ahmed Best. Yes, 
<laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah. It's called Jedi Temple Challenge. Jedi yeah. Temple Challenge. Yeah. Okay. Which just that title makes me think of um, what was my favorite game show was Legends of the Hidden Temple on, on yeah. Nickelodeon. I yeah. loved that show. Yeah, um, but that's, yeah the, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, with, with and this old, is Olmec. Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah, and this is obviously a show with you know children contestants. I I don't think they specified the age, but you know my guess would probably be like kids probably between the ages of like ten and thirteen. That's just my guess. Um, yeah, but yeah, it sounds really fun, and and Ahmed Best will be like the perfect person to host that show. Yeah. Um. So I'm yeah. excited for that next year as well. Me too. I, I will definitely check it out because I got to support my my boy Ahmed. Um, but yeah, I'm honestly I'm curious about the show because I'm I will probably be sitting there going, man, I wish I was twelve so I could do this. <laughs> I know. Right? Um, Same here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw Mark Herleman share the. I think it was Mark Herleman. I could be wrong. I could be mixing it up. But somebody on on my Facebook feed shared the the article and said, "Where do I sign my kids up?" Um, so, <laughs> so I'm like, yes, uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited. So that's new star Wars content content coming to you from Disney plus next year. So, yes. Um, um, well, cool. I think we'll, we'll have to revisit Mandalorian, um, soon, if not the end of the season, but it definitely, there's so much to unpack and I want to keep unpacking it. I've, I've been watching yeah. these episodes on repeat too. Like I've watched them all so many times. So <laughs> I haven't watched the star Wars movie in a couple of weeks. Cause I just Mandalorian is, is scratching all my star Wars itches. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, I think the fewest times I've seen an episode of Mandalorian is twice. So oh, my fewest at this point is seven. So. <laughs> 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 I've watched the man. Do you want to know how many? Because I've been tracking. It. I was like, well, why not track? It's a new show. Sure. So between the four up the four chapters, I've watched it thirty eight times. So, oh my goodness! I know. Do you want to guess which one I've watched the most? Uh, I, I would say uh, I'm going to say uh, the sin. Close chapter two. The child. Okay, the child. That's okay, my, that's that was going to be my second. Yeah, that's my yes. favorite episode so far. So I've watched it eleven times. Oh. Wow. I know people are probably like, "Get a life," and you're not wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I will say that, but I will also say impressive, <laughs> most impressive. So, yeah. um, I will say like most most weeks too. Now before Friday, like typically Thursday, I'll I'll rewatch what's come before. So, because why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, right. well, before we leave, yes. uh, we got a fun uh, matchup for everybody. We do. Uh, this one is very on par with um, what we've been talking about. Um, yes. So we are pitting Cara Dune against Captain Phasma. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be a fun one. And the, the funny thing was is that Carl and I, we, we, when we – podcast we all kind of think up ideas for matchups or polls or whatever uh when carl and i got on today that was both of our ideas so we're like what about this one that was my idea so yeah it was a it's a good pick so i'm very excited to see what people think um i know who i want to win i don't know who i'm gonna pick yet um, but yeah i'm i'm very excited to see what people think about Cardoon versus captain phasma um, and Carl, if people want to weigh in on the matchup or just talk to us about anything 
uh, else Mandalorian or Star Wars related, where can they do that? Um, we are on Twitter at Wampas Lair. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Wampas Lair Podcast. And you can always email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, like Jason said, Katie couldn't be with us this week, but she will be back next week um, as we continue our journey to the rise of Skywalker, which is getting so close. Uh, we'll I be know. looking at Last Jedi next week with Katie. And of course, if you want to know what Katie's up to, you can find her on Twitter at Poe Hot Dameron. All right. Anything else, Carl? Uh, that'll do it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 361. This is the way. For Carl and Katie, who's not here, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.